Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello everyone, welcome to Hidden Histories. Um, I am in the iconic Tower of London, the most famous pieces of history, the most famous um, fortress in the whole of England. People flock from all around the world to come and see this beautiful building. It's been here since the time of William the Conqueror. It is really so well rooted into British history. And I am here with the author and historian Lauren Johnson. Hello. And <laughs> we're going to talk about the most fascinating subject that is women in the tower. Yeah. Because I think, I don't know how you, how you feel, Helen, but I feel like lots of the time, if you say women in the tower of London to people, they picture Anne Boleyn, they picture, you know, the execution site, um, beheading, imprisonment, almost, almost stories of victimhood which is definitely a part of the Tower story. It's probably the most famous part of the Tower story. But there's a lot more to it. Women have been living, working, protesting at the Tower of London for hundreds and hundreds of years. And those stories need to be told as well. Yeah. Including yourself. You weren't protesting. No. But you have been working. <laughs> I have Tower been working, yeah. I've worked <laughs> at the Tower of London for the past 10 years, doing live interpretation, predominantly. So uh, being in costume and being some of the characters, in fact, that uh, we're going to talk about. Which must be really interesting in itself for you, because when you put on that costume, do you really feel like you are becoming more immersed within, within the sort of landscape of the tower and the history? Yeah, I think so. It definitely alters the way you move, the way you interact with other people. And just physical sensations are different. So you know the fact that you feel cold in your feet 
before you feel anything else in your body when you're wearing a medieval outfit because you've got these thin-soled leather shoes. And the question you get asked probably most as a costumed interpreter is, are you hot in that? Or you must be lovely and warm. Mm -hmm. Um, And essentially the answer is always, you're either too hot or you're too cold. You're never particularly comfortable in a a costume, I'd say. So they didn't really get their fashion right in the medieval period? Well, or they got it completely right because it looks good. (laughs) And that's the key. I always um, use the analogy of if you go to a wedding in the modern day, probably you're not wearing very comfortable clothes, but you look good. And that's the key to fashion throughout history. Is it doesn't matter how you feel as long as you look magnificent. Oh yeah, well I absolutely agree. And um, you know, I, I would say you must be pretty lucky that you're not wearing your costume today because it is one of the coldest days that we've had. Yeah, all year. It's I'm right here with my mittens on. <laughs> is absolutely Baltic. Yes, and the Tower of London is a wonderful place, but it must be said, being made of stone and uh, having been designed hundreds of years ago, essentially to have huge open fires, which in the modern times we try to avoid uh, so as not to burn down the Tower of London, uh, you do feel the chill here. I've been here when there's been snow on the ground and hail like raining out of the sky, and it's not the nicest sensation when you're wearing wool. (laughs) Pretty, but freezing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, so let's talk about the women of the past who frequented the tower and what their roles were. So going back, so who 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 are you going to begin with? Who was the first sort of female member of the Tower of London? Probably one of the most important people in terms of leaving a physical mark would be someone like Eleanor of Provence. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, initially, the Tower of London was just the White Tower. It was the Norman keep here. And over time, the tower site has expanded, so you've got more and more walls, basically, to keep things simple. And in the 1230s, Henry III and his wife Eleanor of Provence expanded the tower and built these great long apartments for themselves, kings and queens apartments. And it's thanks to her household accounts that we know what those apartments look like. We know, for instance, that the walls were painted white with with little uh, marguerite flowers on them, which are the symbol of Provence. We know some of the furnishings, we know it's very beautiful palatial site, which is not necessarily what you imagine when you think of the tower. You think of a fortress, you don't think of a palace for a queen to actually spend some nice time in. But you find queens here, again, throughout the history, just living in it, using this as a space to live. Although, unfortunately, because it was still a multi-use site... There were times when uh, queens would arrive and find that their rooms were not particularly ready for them. So Richard II's queen arrived here in the 14th century to find that her room was being used as a, like a storage cupboard for siege engines and crossbows, which would not be particularly enticing, I think, when you get here. No, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly glamorous. So that is interesting, though, because there is this sort of... Um this parallel of it being a fortress and then it also being this the i mean that's a hidden history in itself the fact that it was a home it was a place of um it's a place that women gave birth for instance like elizabeth of york died after giving birth yeah. inside the tower of london she was probably in the white tower or the queen's apartments just down from it having her last child in 1503 so for hundreds of years it was used for that purpose yeah. Wow, so that's that. That's really that's really interesting, actually. If you think about it, it, is this kind of place of life and death, so to speak, yes. and the woman's position in the middle of all of that. Okay, so I didn't realise that that the that it was actually with Henry the Third and his wife Eleanor that the tower was extended. So before that, so if, if any if anybody hasn't actually come to the tower, it's the central point of the tower is this sort of four turreted tower called the White Tower. And it's probably the largest tower within the tower complex, is that right? Yes, and for hundreds of years it was the tallest building in London. 
and then obviously it's now it's a little bit sad now it's a little squat mushroom building Next surrounded by yeah exactly the shard <laughs> and the walkie-talkie building and all of those but there's still points within the tower I think where you can look out and it's like looking out into a little pocket of history which is what I really like but one of my favorite stories connected with women in the tower is connected probably with the white tower um, which is the story of Joanna Ferrer, that I know is someone you are also mm-hmm. interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a woman who was involved in the Peasants' Revolt. And again, this is this is hidden to me because for a long time I feel like when we've read about or heard about the Peasants' Revolt, it's very much been a story of Wat Tyler, John mm-hmm. Ball, mm-hmm. these kind of charismatic male figures, essentially. Pitchfork-wielding. Exactly. Pitchfork-wielding, rough sons of the soil, breaking into the Tower of London in 1381. At a time that possibly, in fact, again, there was a Queen resident here. Richard II's mother was possibly in the Tower of London when it fell to the peasants. The fair maid, Joan. Exactly. Who allegedly they broke in and gave her a kiss on the cheek. Yes, and poked her bed with their swords. That's another of the stories. Oh, wow, that's a Mm. euphemism if I haven't heard. Yes, (laughs) indeed. So we might have heard of Joan of Kent being here in the Tower, but we we haven't really heard the stories of of lots of the women who were part of the Peasants' Revolt, of which Joanna Ferrer is particularly interesting because she is mentioned in legal records from just after the time of the Peasants' Revolt as being a chief perpetrator and leader of the rebellious evildoers of Kent, which, to be honest, sounds like a great band, the rebellious evildoers of Kent. But that's fascinating because that suggests she's not just participating in it, she's not just along for the ride, as it were, to, you know, poke the Savoy or rip out a wine barrel or whatever. She is leading these, this particular group of Kentish rebels. And the legal document goes on to describe how she is actually one of those who drags out Simon Sudbury, the Chancellor and Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, and orders his beheading on Tower Hill. So absolutely pivotal to this moment in history where for the only time in the Tower's history it falls to an outside force is, is a woman whose story has been essentially largely obscured for hundreds of years. And it's so interesting that you know, women's role within the Peasants' Revolt generally has been massively overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. Within historiography, within chronicle accounts as well. I mean, it's very, very few chroniclers really mention. Yeah, and it's strange because you find lots of examples of women being involved in rebellion or Mm -hmm. defence or active participation in sieges or um, one of the other major characters of the Tower's history is Edward I and the Scottish sieges and time and again you find instances in those accounts particularly chronicle accounts of women being involved in burning the king's ships off Berwick or participating even there's instances in the 13th century of women using siege engines so it's, it shouldn't be surprising to us that the Peasants' Revolt involved women in such a key role but it, it still is I think. Yeah and we were discussing this earlier that actually you know it is it is also commonly overlooked the fact that it wasn't you know as we just said a bunch of pitchfork wielding sons of the soil i really like that yeah it was actually uh, it was it was the commons which represented essentially you know all of the people yeah that was everyone women, who was not men, a lord was every, a common exactly <laughs> so there were merchants there were clergymen it was a really it, it was a mass revolt and for for good reason so it wasn't sort of, you know, just a case of we're just going to go and tear, tear shit up, so to speak. It was, <laughs> it was, they had purpose. And I yeah. think that, that her role in that shouldn't be overlooked. Absolutely. And as you say, they were the, uh, the only uh, perpetrators of the tower. They're the only ones who actually managed to yes. break in. In the many hundreds of years that people have tried. And there are also women uh, who have helped people break out. 
which is the other aspect of the Tower story that we, we do tend to remember, is it was a prison. People yes. made daring escapes to try and save themselves from, the, from execution. Uh, and we're actually metres where we're currently sitting from where one of those escapes happened, which was the Jacobite escape of Lord Nithsdale. Uh, which is particularly interesting because Lord Nithsdale, who was a Jacobite, who was on the eve of his execution, was helped out of the tower by three different women. His wife and two of her servants, who came in with a range of clothing. I'm not quite sure how they managed to smuggle in quite as much clothing as they seem to have done. Uh, They smuggled into the lieutenant's house where Nithsdale was kept prisoner. Um, They put one of the cloaks that the maids was wearing onto Nithsdale. They covered his face, which he had not bothered shaving, which seems to me to show a lack of dedication to his own escape, personally. Uh, They covered his face with a handkerchief. She made up, his wife made up his his face with makeup, apparently. uh, And then they smuggled him out completely successfully, which uh, I think is brilliant. The fact that three women saved the life of one male prisoner of the tower. And that's not even to consider the female prisoners who have tried it, of whom I think the most interesting and the most unduly forgotten is Alice Wolfe, who was a pirate who was kept here at the Tower of London. Though her piracy basically, it was all she did. (laughs) What Alice did is she lured uh, some merchants out onto a boat in the Thames where her husband killed them and they stole the money. So it's like the lowest level of piracy you can imagine. She wasn't captaining ships or anything. But while she was imprisoned in the tower, she was kept in the cold harbour tower next to the White Tower, right in the heart of the complex. And yet, disguised as a man, with the help of a jailer she'd made friends with, she managed to get all the way from the heart of the tower, across the rooftops, onto St Thomas's Tower, or Traitor's Gate, as we more commonly know it, onto the wharf, round to Catherine's dock, and was just about to escape when uh, she was spotted by some guards and brought back in. And eventually she did die a pirate's death. But, I mean, not for want of trying. That is a pretty epic escape attempt. So do you think it was particularly difficult to get... I mean, it was particularly difficult to get into the tower, but do you think it was particularly difficult to get out of the tower? It was simply because of the situation with walls and water mm. surrounding it. You've, if you're in the middle of the tower, if you're in the inner ward, you've got to get through, just looking to count, one, two, maybe three different walls and across either the moat or the water that separates the tower from the wharf and then onto the river, possibly, uh, which is how John Gerard, who's a Jesuit priest in the late Elizabethan era, he gets out that way. Again, with the help of um, a woman, his friend John Arden's wife assists in that escape. So you really need people from outside helping you in order to successfully escape. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so those are those are women who were held here who, you know, they were held here against their will and they were escaped. Um, but also, what about... What about women who actually worked here? So people who were involved in the everyday running of what was quite a sort of complex. I mean, mm. it is even today, if you think about the sort of amount of staff that it that it takes to sort of upkeep the, the tower now. It, it really was... I mean, that was, that was the same mm. all the way through its history, wasn't it? Yes, and throughout its history, you've had families living with male workers within the tower site, but you've also had women women working here as well. Most recently and most famously in the last 10 years, the yeoman warder body has expanded. So now that there are women beef eaters as well as male beef eaters. And what I think is particularly interesting is during the Hundred Years' War, the time of Edward III, uh, there was actually a woman working the Tower Forge. So there was a, a female blacksmith here called Catherine Lefebvre who took over from... It seems her husband was, first of all, the Tower blacksmith, and then she took over when her son went away with Edward III's army to fight in France. And she was paid, as far as I can work out, she was paid two-thirds what her son was paid. So she took over, but she was paid less. Equal pay. Yeah, still an issue. (laughs) 700 years of struggle. It continues. And there's one woman in the 17th century who, unfortunately, we know about because she came to a rather unfortunate end, who was a maid of one of the families who kept the lions in the Tower of London. For hundreds of years, there was a menagerie here with lots of different animals kept in it, of which the lions are the most uh, kind of iconic creatures. Uh, And this woman called Mary Jenkinson decided that she would take some of her friends who were visiting the Tower to have a little secret behind-the-scenes look at the lions. And she got so used to them that she essentially wasn't afraid of them. So she put her arm through the cage of the lions, petted one of them, and basically had her arm torn Uh, eventually it had to be amputated and she died and a lament was written a ballad was written all about how she had died because of the lions in the tower which is obviously uh, that's gone down in history because it was such an unusual event but the fact that she was um, a woman living within the tower is the crucial part of that story she was living and working here as part of like the wider tower family, basically. Including the lions being part Including of the wider tower family. And once a wolf escaped and got into one Mrs Cooper's room where she was uh, making some food for her children as well. It's a bit of a dangerous mix. Well, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely. Yeah, probably sensible to uh, keep the beasts out of the tower from now on, I think. So there really wasn't a, uh, you know, women had quite a central role within the tower. And obviously it was um, being a prison, it was also domestic. So you had kings, queens, you had royal apartments here. You've had women as the as the perpetrators. But what about those who were held, women who were also held here and died here? Yes. Well, I think probably we most famously remember the Tudor women. But there were actually quite a lot of high status 
women who are kept prisoner over the years. We remember like family members who were kept here with... There's someone called Lucy Percy who was kept with her father, the Wizard Earl of Northumberland, uh, who was kept here because her father didn't want her to marry someone without his permission. So he literally imprisoned his daughter with him in order to stop her marrying someone. And loads of women end up prisoners here because they've got illicitly married to someone. All of the Grey sisters... We remember Lady Jane Grey. We forget her sister Catherine and her sister Mary were here for getting married without the permission of the royal family. And also, one of the more intriguing parts of the Tower's history in the 17th century, there was an attempt by Colonel Blood to steal the crown jewels, which got all the way to the wharf and some of his accomplices got right into London. Uh, But again, women have been forgotten in that story because when Colonel Blood came to scope out the Martin Tower where the jewels were being kept at the time, he did it with a female accomplice called Mrs Ayliffe, who was an actress uh, masquerading as a woman who was trying to arrange the marriage of... Uh, her completely fictional nephew to the daughter of the keeper of the crown jewels and it was that daughter who found effectively her father having been beaten over the head by Colonel Blood and his men and raised the alarm in the tower and stopped them getting away so really important figures who tend to get slightly overlooked because there was someone called Colonel Blood in the story which is you know it is a compelling name it's a bit more exciting than Elizabeth Edwards or (laughs) Mrs Ayliffe but you know important to remember and the other the big aspect of the tower's history that weirdly we forget even though it's so important today is tourism this has been a tourist site as well throughout its history and in the 18th century one of the many many tourists who came to look at the horse armory and the spanish armory and to see all of the things that actually we tend to come and look at today was a woman called phyllis wheatley who was a a prodigy and poet who was african-american and she came here when i believe she was still in her early 20s but already being celebrated for her writing and she writes a description of having visited these things in the tower and how much she enjoyed it what about the women who were unfortunate enough to actually die at the tower of london Obviously, the Tower of London is very known for its blood-curdling torture methods and its famous executions, um, of which a few were women. Yeah, absolutely. There were quite a few women, actually, who were kept here who then were taken elsewhere to be executed. But the handful who were killed within the Tower walls are those, I think, who are probably rightly remembered uh, most famously in in the Tower's history. Probably, and it's an unusual case where if you ask someone to name, okay, who who was killed at the Tower of London? They would say a woman's name before they would say a man's. They would definitely say Anne Boleyn. They would say Catherine Howard, Lady Jane Grey, uh, or even, if yeah, particularly up on their history, they might mention Margaret Pole, who was Henry VIII's distant relation, who was kept here and beheaded in her 60s because of something um, her son had done over in Rome. What's tantalising and a little bit frustrating about these women is that the places that they were kept, the places they were imprisoned, are largely gone. So we can walk in the footsteps of these women, we can walk through the space where the royal apartments used to be and up towards the north side of the White Tower, where they were probably executed, but um, we can't get much closer than that to them. And even more weirdly, there is a, a spot within the tower that is a sort of dedicated location to commemorate those who were executed within the tower which may not actually be the place where they were executed Um, lots of the descriptions are extremely vague about this what we do know though is um, wherever these women were executed wherever Anne Boleyn Catherine Howard were killed they were buried within the chapel of St Peter right next to it and that's where they still are to this day and you do find that people come and put roses on the graves of these women so it's they're still being remembered within the tower history, even now. 
And what about in more in more recent times? So the tower was a place of female terrorism, wasn't it, during mm. the suffrage movement? What happened there? Yeah, in 1913, a woman called Leonora Cohen came into the tower. I was about to say broke into the tower, which is completely false. She came into the tower like any other tourist, in fact, um, and she managed to work her way in with a group of school children, so she was assumed to be their teacher. But underneath her coat, she had with her an iron bar around which she had written a suffrage message. And she got all the way through into the Wakefield Tower, which at that point was where the crown jewels were being kept. And she threw the iron bar through the glass that covered the jewels at, I think, at the order of merit. So she obviously chose her target wisely. And as a result, she was taken away and imprisoned elsewhere, not in the tower, in fact. But yeah, so so that protest element in the tower's history, that sense of its link to wider national politics is still completely there within the 20th century and arguably into the 21st as well. The Tower of London is, it, so it's really a castle. It was essentially one of the first great castles built by William the Conqueror as part of his network of castles around the country. But the Tower of London, with the involvement of so many women, is a really good example of how women were actually associated with castles everywhere, yeah. not just here. So absolutely, these stories are just... Uh, you know they're just a, a, a fragment of what what of, of a wider story really across Absolutely. across the country and across and e- even in those very first years of the Norman castles you find them in other places you find Matilda de Mowbray for instance up in Bamber in Northumberland defending her castle yes. against William Rufus yeah. you find Nicola de la Haye during the the rebellions against um, King John in the 13th century at Lincoln Castle there are women all over this country yeah. who are connected with castles who were either defending or living in them working in them so the entire country has hidden histories Thank you very much, Lauren. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and it was so, so cool to talk about female involvement within the Tower of London because you're right, we, you know, we associate it with men. We associate it as a very um, masculine embodiment of of history, of architectural history and actually there is so much more to it than that. And what are you working on at the moment? What have you What have you just been working on as well? That's probably the most accurate thing. You've got a very cool book coming out very shortly next year. Uh, yes, I've written a biography of Henry VI that is out in March 2019. And I'm also currently working on a biography of Margaret Beaufort. So both of them have links to the Tower that are more or less happy, depending at what point in their lives it is. This is where Henry VI was kept prisoner, as was his wife, in fact, Margaret of Anjou. So another woman who's connected with the Tower of London. Lovely. Well, thank you very much. And where can we where can we find you on social media? Uh, on Twitter, I am at history underscore Lauren. And you can also, if you delve about a bit, you can find me on Facebook. And uh, my website is lauren-johnson.com. Fabulous. Thank you very much. And we will have you back, probably maybe to talk you back at the Tower again to talk about Henry VI. Brilliant. Look forward to it. Hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.